Good morning to the Firm Foundation Church community. I pray you all are well on this fine Sunday morning. We honor God for God's continued faithfulness to us during this very strange, strange time that we are in. But I am thankful that I serve a God, that you serve a God that is sovereign and is in complete control. And as a result, we know that everything is going to be all right. To the incomparable Pastor Eva, thank you so much for your generosity and extending yet another invitation to me. Uh, I guess that means that I didn't do too bad last time. Praise be to God. Thank you so much. I appreciate how kind you have been to me. I need to give a quick shout out to my leaders at Providence Missionary Baptist Church in the ATL, Dr. Damon Williams and Dr. Kalia Williams. I'm so grateful to God for them. The scripture tells us to give honor to whom honor is due. So I honor them on today, but they have been wonderful leaders and mentors and friends to me. With that being said, let us pray. God in heaven, we honor you. We bless you. God, we thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of it all. We thank you, God, for being consistent. For when the world, oh God, is inconsistent, when it is uncertain, God, you are consistent, God, and you are certain. So as we approach this preaching moment, God, we say you be the preacher. Open our ears that we might hear, open our eyes that we might see, open our hearts that we might perceive, that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have heard from you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. Our scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 28. That's Ephesians chapter four, verses 25 through 28. I will be reading for the new, from the New Revised Standard Translation, which reads this way. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. This is the word of the Lord. With the help of your prayers and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to speak to you all today from the subject of Without community, there is no liberation. Without community, there is no liberation. Many of you may be wondering why this title sounds familiar. It is a quote from Audrey Lord that I came across as I was preparing this message. As I began to seek the Lord regarding what God would have to say this morning, uh, what was apparent after some significant wrestling was God's desire for an expanded understanding of community for this house. While this is a message from which everyone can glean, I want to be clear that the Firm Foundation Church is on God's mind. 
And there is a preparation that is taking place and a level of establishment that God is solidifying to condition and to ready you for what is to come. You see, this pandemic has and will continue to cause people to be desperate for community, desperate to engage, desperate to belong, desperate to have a body of individuals among whom they find safety, comfort, support, identity, and liberation. In many ways, the church, and I'm, I'm speaking about the church at large in this regard, the church has lost sight of the communal nature and communal responsibility that it was originally structured and designed to model for the world. There is a very particular way that God has charged us as a people to live, but we have allowed the ways of this colonizer culture to infiltrate how it is that we live out our lives at home, our lives at work, and our lives at church, which should all look the same, meaning, the core of who we are should be evident no matter the context, no matter where we are or who we are around. But instead, we've been conditioned to compete, compartmentalize, and confine. You see, those that subscribe to a colonial mentality, and I want to be clear that this mentality doesn't exclusively exist among our non-melanated brethren, but this mentality has permeated the minds of many melanated persons as well. The mentality where it's every man, woman, or person for themselves. Get all you can and can all you can get. And whoever happens to get the short end of the stick or becomes a casualty in the process, oh well. All we seem to care about is our for and no more. We will go as far as we need to go to be successful, to be powerful, to obtain position, status, and or money, no matter who we have to step on, or even how much of ourselves we have to deny, oppress, or depress to do it. I'm here to tell you that this mindset is of the devil. And I can say that with complete confidence because I have scripture to back me up. Speaking of which, Let's turn our attention back to the text. To give you some context, this letter was written to instruct the Gentile converts as to how they should live given this new identity that they've embraced after accepting Christ. It is also admonishing the Jews to not just accept the Gentile converts as members of the community, but to receive them as members who are literally part of them selves. To ensure that it was clear what was required of the community, the Ephesians writer provided some very distinct examples of how to and how not to engage one another as a community led by the Holy Spirit, reflective of Christ, and in honor of God. In an effort to dig deeper into our text, we're going to work through it verse by verse, which is why we only have a few verses on this morning. I would offer that it's important when reading scripture to take a step back and discern the spirit of what is being said, as opposed to taking a prescriptive, legalistic perspective that can lead to a distortion, misinterpretation, or incomplete understanding of scripture. For example, 
Let's take verse 25, which reads, so then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors for we are members of one another. At first glance, it seems pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. Don't lie and speak the truth to one another. Simple. Well, not really. This is partially correct. The whole of the matter is that falsehood is when someone is being intentionally misleading or deceptive. So this now broadens what behaviors fall into this category. Not being my authentic self and creating a facade is falsehood. Living double, triple lives is falsehood. Where I'm one person with this group of people, I'm another person with that group of people. And when I'm with my family, that's an entirely different personality. Falsehood. Presenting my life on social media as one way, but behind the scenes, it's another. Falsehood. Running off at the mouth in the comments section, but in person, I can't keep that same energy. Falsehood. Telling everyone you're okay and then falling apart when you get home. Falsehood. Being in need, but being too ashamed to admit my need. Falsehood. Being overwhelmed by life's responsibilities, but acting like I'm superhuman and not phased by anything. Falsehood. In an effort to keep up certain appearances, we are living life in falsehood and don't even realize it because we have normalized that if you aren't perfect, if you don't possess this immortal strength and have everything together, then you're somehow weak, deficient, inadequate, and unworthy of acceptance or support. But that's not of God. The scripture is admonishing us to live our life in truth because it is the truth that makes us free. But unfortunately, many of us mistake this to mean that we can spew our opinions and judgments about people all willy-nilly without consequence. That's not what truth is. The truth that God is calling us to is a vulnerability that creates space for the entirety of our humanity. In other words, I should be able to be weak in your presence and not pretend that I've got it all together all the time. I should be able to bring my whole self to the table without apology or having to provide 32 explanations to justify why I feel the way I feel or why I am the way that I am. The community should accept me no matter how I look, no matter where I come from, no matter who I love, no matter what level of education I have, how much money I have, who I know, who I, or whether you consider me valuable to you or not. I should be embraced by the community simply because you should see God in me and you should see yourself in me. Because as the text says, we are members of one another. The truth is in the vulnerability of letting you see who I really am because I am you and you are me. We are connected. So when I hurt you, I hurt me. Therefore, I need to be very careful about how I engage with you because the success of the community, the liberation of this community is dependent upon the success of our relationship. Secondly, let us take a look at verses 26 and 27, and it reads, be angry, but do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. The initial inclination is that it's not good to be angry for a long period of time, which is correct, partially. The spirit of what's being said is that we ought to manage our emotions so that they don't cause us to get to a point where we cause harm to ourselves or to be out of fellowship with God or our community. So it's not limited to anger, but we can also add bitterness, resentment, fear, or any other emotion that has the potential for being destructive to the individual and or the community if it isn't addressed quickly and appropriately. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon at my church on emotions, and I shared with them how heightened negative emotions unchecked for an extended period of time causes us to reject the presence of God, which includes the presence of God in other people. How, you may ask? Because when we are in a heightened state, particularly when it comes to anger, it triggers your fight or flight response. So you are not rational and respond with behaviors that are irrational, which is an open door for the devil. The challenge is that we have to make a decision in that moment, in a split second, about what's more important how I feel, the point I want to get across, being right or recognizing that the stability of the community and communal relationships are imperative for us to thrive. And I therefore need to pull myself together. Do I let this moment get out of hand and indulge in self-gratification or do I prioritize my neighbor who is someone that I'm supposed to consider as a member of myself? As a community of believers, self-gratification has to take a back seat to engaging one another graciously, thoughtfully, and through the eyes of God. When I see my neighbor, I ought to see two things, the image of God and myself. We are unfortunately taught that when someone offends us, that we have to respond with guns blazing because our pride can't allow them to get the best of us. We are unfortunately taught that when someone hurts us, we have to hurt them more. We are unfortunately taught that when we are sad, that we should engage in self-destructive behavior to make us glad. And I want to stay here for a second. What we fail to realize when it comes to self-destructive behavior is that self-destructive behavior doesn't just impact you, but it is a community issue. I'll say it again. Self-destructive behavior is a community issue. One more time for my people in the back. Self-destructive behavior is a community issue. As a community, it is our responsibility to intervene when it is clear that one of our members is doing harm to themselves in some way whether it's drugs, alcoholism, promiscuity, eating disorders, tolerating abuse, whatever it is. We ought not turn a blind eye and act as if it is not happening. When one of us isn't okay, none of us should be okay. The days of claiming to love people, but ignoring the obvious signs of self-destruction because we don't like confrontation, those days need to be gone. We must handle it properly to be clear. And this isn't an excuse to be messy, 
But this is when we involve the leaders and elders of the community to discern how to engage. Our love for our neighbor must be that of gracious, thoughtful, and supportive action. Lastly, I'd like to turn our attention to verse 28, and it reads, thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. At first glance, one could glean that you shouldn't take anything that doesn't belong to you. You work for what you want and you give to those who are in need. I would agree with that. But again, I think it's necessary for us to take a closer look at what's being illustrated. Theft is much more detrimental to a community than we realize because it can show up in a number of ways. The fact that you shouldn't take something that belongs to you is obvious to most, but there are other ways to steal from a community. You see, there is what I will refer to as emotional theft. This is when individuals seek the emotional investment of others for selfish gain. They prey on the compassion and goodwill of the community. They are attention seekers. Some often play the victim because they get satisfaction from being the object of everyone's affection, thereby stealing the energy of the community to feed their emotional deficiencies. They don't want to get the help they need because that will require them to be accountable, take responsibility for themselves, and give up being the center of attention. But the scripture says, give it up. When the energy of the community isn't focused in the right direction, it hinders progress and takes away from those that really need that energy and attention. Then we have the joy thieves. They prey on the joy and success of others. Because they're miserable, they can't stand to see you happy. So they make it their business to offer unsolicited commentary and opinions designed to disturb you of your peace and rob your joy. As grandma has always said, misery loves company. We also have those who are emotionally apathetic. They don't care or act as if they don't care about certain people. These individuals rob people of feeling loved, understood, and valued. They are very demeaning, condescending, passive aggressive, and dismissive. They make it their business to try to break you down, crush your spirit, and make, make you feel as if you don't matter. The scripture says, give it up. Ellie Weasel, a Holocaust survival and survivor and activist, put it like this. He said, the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Some of us need to develop a capacity for compassion. And I say that as one that has had to pray, Lord, help me to care. Give me the desire to love this person because they getting on my nerves, Jesus, help me. Because for some of us, it doesn't always come automatically. If that's you, get in that word, get in your prayer closet, get a therapist, and work that on out. Another form of theft is withdrawing from communities that we haven't sown into. Uh-oh, 
I'm about to get in trouble with this one. Thankfully, we're virtual, so I don't need an escape route. <laughs> Acts 2.44 and 45 reads, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their good, their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Acts 4.32 reads, now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. So here we have in the book of Acts, right after the birth of Christ's church, they immediately set the tone as to how we are to live as a community. They started off by making an investment and then there was a distribution to all. Making demands and extracting resources from a community that we haven't contributed to is theft. Redrawing district lines to take resources from one community and directing it to another community for greedy, selfish motives is theft. I'm sorry, I needed to get that off my chest. That wasn't where I was trying to go this morning, but I can't help myself. Focus, Alina, focus. If you're signing on every week and getting fed spiritually and not contributing, to the house from which you are receiving spiritual enrichment, that, my friends, is theft. And I'm talking specifically to those who have the means, right? To those who do not have the means, this is not for you because it is the community's responsibility to care for you. For those to whom this applies, it takes resources to run a church. We need to stop being spiritual leeches and standing in this posture of entitlement when it comes to the church. The church doesn't owe you or me anything. We are all answering to working for and serving the same God. Over in Luke 9, it talks about putting our hands to the plow, meaning we need to be more concerned about the work God is calling each and every one of us to do and less concerned about what and how much we can acquire and consume and drain from the house of God. Work honestly with your own hands. And on another note, when it comes to the businesses within our community, we need to stop begging our people for the hookup when we have the ability to pay. The moral of the story here is when we take advantage of the work, effort, time, and resources of others and don't invest or contribute what we should, it is theft. There should be an exchange. Pull your weight in the community. Work honestly with your own hands. Be a pillar. Be a contributor. Build up your community. As I draw to a close, it is my prayer that this challenging time navigating the hardships of this pandemic has opened all of our eyes to see the dire need for true community. We have to begin to look at one another and see God as well as ourselves. What I do to my neighbor, I'm doing to God and to myself. When I deny my neighbor, I'm denying God and myself. 
We must put more emphasis on the importance of community beyond our family, friends, and those who we are comfortable with. The scripture doesn't say put away falsehood and speak truth to just your family. It says your neighbor. This was an important distinction in the scripture because the Israelites considered the Gentiles to be foreigners and strangers that they wanted nothing to do with. They had to be strongly admonished to not just tolerate the Gentiles, but to, but to receive them as members of themselves. It is my hope that as you continue to build and grow as a ministry, that whoever walks through your doors, whether virtual or physical, that you see yourself, that you see God, and that you live in truth so that you might be made free. God bless you. Let us pray. God, we honor you. We bless you. We thank you for the word that our ears have heard. We ask you, oh God, that you would burn it into our hearts, that you would help us to love our neighbor as ourselves, that when we see our neighbor, we will see you and we will see ourselves and therefore be more careful about what we say and more careful about what we do. Help us, oh God, to be more like Christ. We honor you, we bless you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.